Welcome back to Around the World. I'm Dylan and I'm here with Drags and today we're joined by a really awesome guest, Zach Zandy, the pride of Philadelphia and uh, Bryn Mawr, Pennsylvania. Zach is a product of the Philly Union Academy, one of the most prestigious academies here in America. He then went on to have a really successful four-year career at Villanova, which included the Philly Soccer Six Player of the Year in 2017. And then he went on to sign with uh, Bethlehem Steel, or formerly Bethlehem Steel, now Philly Union 2, and uh, eventually got traded to Colorado Switchbacks, where he's now enjoying a really great season. The Switchbacks are near the top of the division, and he's already got more than a thousand minutes under his belt. So we're really thankful to have you here, Z. Thanks for joining us. How you doing? Ah, dude, thanks for the introduction. Uh, I'm doing great. Thanks for thanks for having me. Definitely, it's our pleasure, man. It's our pleasure. So, kicking it off, um, we've been talking a lot about uh, what's going on um, here in America and how soccer is evolving, um, and it's definitely getting better and better. So, you grew up uh, in the Philly Union Academy, um, and that is obviously one of the foremost academies when it comes to developing players. Um, they are producing players that are playing in the MLS and then even more so over in Europe when you look at the Aronsons of the world. Um, so can you walk us through what it was like growing up in that environment, which I would imagine is really competitive and that's looking to produce professional players? Yeah, for sure. I mean, when I when I started out with the union, it was a lot different then than it is now. They've I would say they've kind of perfected everything. Um, and when I was there, they were just kind of starting things up. So I was only able to play for, for two years with them. Um, and prior to that, I was with uh, Penn Fusion in Westchester. But the two years that I got were, were incredible. Um, just a really professional environment, um, kind of getting you ready for, you know, what a professional team would be like, kind of, you know, the practices every day. Um, and then the competition obviously was, was really good. The coaching staff, um, very educated on the game. Um, so just kind of everything from top to bottom while they were still improving a lot of things, um, was really incredible and great for my development. Um, but you know, you look at it now, they have a school, they have, you know, it used to be a champion USL championship two team, um, now an MLS next team. So there's a lot, uh, I would say the pathway is a lot more defined to get to the first team, um, because you have those, you know, middle steps to, to train, with a professional team and another professional environment and then make your way to the first team. So I'd say the pathway is a lot more clearly defined, but when I was there just kind of starting, but it was, it was still overall a great experience. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Z. Um, and I think like, as Dylan mentioned, I think when, when you think about academies in America, I mean, Philly union is the first one that comes to mind in terms of just, you know, producing talent year in and year out. Um, and <laughs> from my perspective, you're, you're just another one um, that they have, but like more specifically, so kind of go staying on that topic right now. Um, so when you, um, when you made that switch from Penn fusion to, to, to the union Academy um, kind of what were the biggest, like, I guess, differences adjustments that you had to make um with that transition and how did it make you a better player more primed for college um i think the first thing was i think with Penn fusion we were training three nights a week so it was like monday wednesday friday training 
um, versus the union where it was Monday through Friday and then obviously games on the weekend. So just kind of that training on a consistent basis in a team environment was, I think the biggest, uh, the biggest difference in, in development and stuff. I mean, I was on the days that we didn't have training with Penfusion, I was doing stuff outside, but it was, you know, one-on-one stuff, um, individuals and, and things like that, which is a bit different than, you know, kind of being in this, you know, team, team environment five days a week. So I think that, that, that time commitment was, uh, was great. And it was definitely needed to make that, that next step. And it was the, the biggest thing for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And you're talking about making that next step. So you've obviously played at a plethora of different levels, um, including professionally now, but going back to when you were a little bit younger, you were part of uh, the national team pool. Um, so what was it like being recruited? Uh, what did it take to get noticed? And then what was that experience like uh, being part of the national team pool? Yeah, I mean, I think – I don't even know if you guys know what ODP is. Did you guys play ODP? <laughs> yeah, back to like U12, man. It was yeah, me too, me too. I was definitely yeah, so part of it. Before, before Academy, you know, ODP was the, the big thing for, you know, the state players and then it would, you know, transfer to regional and then obviously national. But China all started out with the, with the state state program in PA. Um, and when I first tried out, I didn't actually make the first team. I was on the second team. Um, so I had to work my way up and I was actually – playing center back for the, I made it at center back for the first team. Cause that was, I guess the position that I was able to play. And I was one of the smallest guys still at that point as I am now. Um, so that was, that was kind of ironic, but I did well um, with, with the state team, uh, got to regional team, made it there uh, still at center back, uh, went to Italy two times. Um, so, so did some trips with the, with the regional team. Um, a lot of quality players on that on that team. Some guys that are are still playing professional right now. And then from the regional camp, uh, got selected to go to the first first U fourteen camp for for my age group and at center back, which is a bit <laughs> ridiculous. Um, so you know, I was able to play uh, in, in that camp a lot. It was in Massachusetts. It was a really great experience. Um, like guys like Emerson Heinemann, he's the he's the first one that came to my mind that that was on at that camp, uh, but a lot of quality players, but, you know, I was playing center back, so probably not my ideal position, but it was still, you know, a great experience, but that's kind of the, how I got to the, the, you know, the national team pool. That was my only camp one and only. Um, so nah, maybe I'll get a call back again, but unlikely. <laughs> yeah, hopefully, uh, I, hopefully. I think, I think, I think, yeah, I think the future's bright. And yeah. honestly, one is still a lot more than a lot of people get. So it's still a cool experience stuff. Yeah, that's for real. That's awesome. Um, that's funny. I never knew uh, about the center back thing because I just yeah, know crazy. you as a, yeah, I just know you as a creative attacking player, um, obviously. And that kind of leads into my next question. I'm just curious. So um, when you're younger, what, um, I guess, what player, did you look up to when you when you were a younger player? What player did you try and model model your game after when you were when you were a young end out there? Uh, you know, I think so. My dad watched a lot of soccer, so I'd watch a lot with him. And you know, we were kind of watching in the the heyday of Barcelona when they had Xavi and Iniesta, Busquets, you know, that whole team. Um, so I watched a lot of Barcelona. So I'd say Iniesta uh, was the guy I kind of looked up to. Uh, tried to model my game after. Um, just really, you know, technically clean, savvy with the ball. Um, and, you know, obviously pretty creative as well and just a world-class player. Um, so I, I'd say Iniesta for me. Mm-hmm. 
I think you're doing a, I think you're doing a pretty decent job. <laughs> not, not even close, but, I, but I'm trying, <laughs> but I appreciate that. Um, but anyways, um, so obviously you went through the Union Academy, uh, you had your national team camp, and then eventually uh, you ended up at Villanova. Um, and you were, uh, for those that don't know, one of the best players in Villanova program history, a guy that uh, is still talked about today within the program. Um, but what was that like transitioning uh, from a somewhat professional environment over at the Union um, into a college Division One environment? Yeah, you know, I think I, I was pretty lucky with being able to be in the, the Union Academy and kind of the preparation that that they had and the the quality of players that I had on my team and the Union. Um, most of those guys uh, went to big, big D1 schools, a lot better than Villanova at the time, um, and a lot of guys that are still playing professionally to this day. Uh, so the competition there was was honestly really high, and that prepared me really well for, for Villanova. Um, I think the biggest adjustment was – kind of the condensed nature of the the college season where it's, you know, 20 games in, in two months. Um, and I was a bit unlucky. I came off of having mono. Uh, so I missed the entire second half of the academy season. So I kind of came into to Nova with very little fitness and then, you know, struggled with injuries uh, partly because of that. And then I, did, I wasn't entirely mature enough to know how to handle my body. Um, so, so injuries my freshman and sophomore year were, were pretty problematic, but you know, the physical aspect of the college game is also tough. And then just, you know, with the amount of games that you're playing, it, it makes it so much more difficult. So kind of a combination of all those things made it a difficult transition, but you know, in that time, I think I learned a lot about how to actually be a better pro and kind of prepare myself for, for, you know, after college. Right. 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 Yeah. Um, Obviously, me and Dylan can completely relate to that that huge adjustment. Yeah. I think it's really not talked about enough just because, I mean, I've been fortunate. I know Dylan's been dealt, dealt with some injuries, but, um, you know, you just see your teammates, guys from other teams, just, you know, if you have like a, a three-week knock that puts you out, I don't even know, like 25% of the games, which is just crazy. Yeah. Um, and something people, I guess, like the outsiders don't really – think about um plays into a big part of what the college game is um so yeah you so you talked about a little bit about your freshman and sophomore season um so what kind of was that um that realization or that hurdle you jumped over um to obviously kind of um have you know amazing and from in terms of Villanova's like history um junior and senior seasons um I think you know it was just it was frustrating being injured but that was the first time in my career that I had really had sustained injuries for a long time. So I was frustrated. I wanted to figure out like, what can I do to make myself available to be able to play? Cause obviously you guys know that injuries are the worst part of the game. You don't want to be just sitting on the sideline. That's, that's no fun. Um, so, you know, I really took a hard look at myself and, and asked myself, what can I do to, you know, be better? How, how can I avoid things like this for happening? So that meant, you know, spending a lot of time in the training room, doing a lot of recovery stuff at night. Um, and I would say I really kind of in those freshman, sophomore years learned a lot about my body and how to take care of my body that, you know, have, have led me to be able to be healthy for, for the past couple of years. And without, you know, crazy things happening, you know, it's, it's been, been a good job and how I've done that, I think. 
Yeah, it's definitely sober and going to college and realizing that your body does have physical limitations. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I feel run, like yeah. I feel it's like a- in college, there's kind of a you know, you used to be able to eat whatever you wanted, sleep however much you wanted, all these type of things, and then in college, it starts to you know, those things start to matter where, you know, what you're eating, you you know, maybe you're putting on some weight or, you know, you're not sleeping well and you're, you're feeling like, you know, horrible the next day. So it's those little things that at that age, you kind of, kind of change. I feel like you age like five to 10 years, like right when you step on campus, it's so odd. Like in terms of like just (laughs) athletics, like just trying to play, it's crazy. Absolutely. I still remember, I still remember when I was a freshman, one of my first interactions at Villanova, Z was in the locker room and he was talking about, man, I have to eat healthy now or I don't feel good the next day. And I was sitting there, I was still a freshman. I was like, dude, what are you talking about? Like, you <laughs> now I'm sitting here like, man, I better watch what I eat the day before a game. And so, yeah, you learn can't real be, quick. Can't be in Chipotle right before a game. No, it's not going to go over too well. No, nope, absolutely nope. not. Or yeah, I mean, you could try, but you'll get exposed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're, you're gonna be, you're gonna be having, your stomach's gonna be hurt for sure. Yeah. Well, within that, within that journey that that you went on, Z, and obviously your first two years were a bit of a struggle, and then your last two years were pretty successful. I think for every player um, at basically any level, there comes a moment where you realize, you know, I can really go pro here, or you know, my, maybe the end of the road's coming up, and you start looking up what am I going to do after soccer? So for you, obviously you you were able to carve out a professional career that's still going on right now. So when was that moment for you that you realized, Hey, I can really be a professional soccer player. And how did you handle that? I mean, I think I've always wanted to be a professional soccer player ever since I was a little kid, you know, you do that stuff in what elementary school, what do you want to be when you grow up? Like, I think I probably wrote, like, I want to be a professional soccer player. Mm-hmm. So I think I always had those aspirations, but I would say, you know, where it really became realistic was probably that U14, U13 age, um, where I was one of the better players. And, you know, I really loved the game. And, you know, that thinking professionally was something that I wanted to do. Um, Yeah, because I think that's like eighth grade, ninth grade. And by that time, I was I wasn't playing any other sports. Um, It was just soccer. So I think from from that point, the focus was, you know, I want I want to play soccer at whatever level I can, the highest, the highest I can do it. Um, so I'd say around the U13, U14 age is, is when I, when I wanted to do that. Yeah. So, um, I mean, that's awesome. Like, uh, I just think it's, you know, we all, I'm sure I wrote that down as well. Um, when I was, when I was a young kid as well, um, you know, when it's, it's weird how we kind of know, um, that that's, that's kind of what we want to do, um, at such a young age, but, um, so more specifically to like college though. Um, so obviously you're going, you're getting into your junior senior year of college. Um, what, what kind of happened or was there any specific events or, um, what did you really focus on? I guess is my question in those years, um, that kind of propelled, um, you being able to take that step um to sign your first pro contract um i think it was just kind of the commitment that i that i was willing to put in is all the extra work that that i was putting in on the side to to try to be the best player that i could be um i think it was you know my junior year the, the december of my junior year that i committed to villanova um i obviously i value education pretty highly um and i would say that you know nowadays 
with the pro environment, a lot of kids don't go the college route. Um, and maybe, you know, if I was younger, I maybe wouldn't have went the college route. I'm, I'm not entirely sure, but I'm, I'm definitely happy with the decision that I, that I took because I got the, the Villanova education. Um, I'm also, I'm getting my master's right now at Georgetown. Um, so awesome. education was always, you know, something that was a priority for me. So kind of being able to combine, you know, the, the athletics at, at Villanova with the, with the education and kind of that commitment of the, you know, being a student athlete, I think was, was a big step in just maturing as a person and kind of maturing in my soccer academics, kind of everything overall and, and giving my time myself time to develop as a player and, and get better and ultimately get to that, that pro contract. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm definitely, I can't speak to being at the same level as you, but talking to you and other people that have made that jump, it feels like a lot of it, yes, it is skill-based. You do become better as a player, but a lot of it is also kind of your mindset shifts, right? And you start becoming more focused, like you said, and realizing that everything has a purpose, right? Like the way you go about your day, and I think it's really worked out well for you. But um, so when you did make that jump um, from Villanova to become a professional soccer player, what was that process like? as far as reaching out to an agent, did an agent reach out to you? Did you have to go on a bunch of trials? How was that? How was that time? Yeah, I think, you know, for people who grow up in a, in a MLS Academy, it's maybe a bit different because the union owned my rights. Um, I, I wasn't draft eligible. So there was really no other option for me other than the, the union, which is honestly what I, what I wanted to go to. Um, but agent wise, I reached out to a few agents. I think Fetro, I, Fetro hooked me up with a guy that he knew. Um, and ultimately I ended up signing with him. Probably not the best agent, but, you know, it was able to, you know, negotiate a, a first contract for me, but kind of, what was it? December of the fall, right after the season ended. I got a call from the the head coach of the Bethlehem Steel at the time, now for now Philadelphia Union Two, Brendan Burke, um, and he, he was like, "Yeah, we want to offer you a contract." And you know that that's what I wanted, so I was ecstatic, um, and obviously signed that pretty quickly. Probably a month went by through the negotiations and whatever, and and ultimately ended up signing that. But because I was owned and my rights were were with the union. That was, you know, the only option for me. And, you know, I was happy that they were able to offer me a contract. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, I think it's, it's, it's obviously a lot different um, for every player. And it's interesting to hear your perspective on it uh, because those that don't grow up in an MLS Academy, obviously have a different route, um, but that's super interesting. So I'm, I'm curious. And I think our, our listeners would be curious too. Um, what was it like? So you signed your contract um, going to Bethlehem steel. What was it like? What was that feeling like of being a pro? What was it like stepping on the field in a pro training session for the first time? What what was going through your head? And um, if you can remember back uh, for your career now, but um, what, what do you, how would you put that into words for, for everyone listening? Yeah, you know, I think it was it was a really great experience. I think I was lucky to have had been in a professional environment and trained with the steel over the summers when I was with Reading, um, which was the PDL now USL League Two. Um, so I had some experience of being in a professional environment. Um, so that kind of eased the nerves a little bit, but obviously, you know, you go in, you're the new guy, rookie, um, there, there's nerves, but, you know, 
you guys know, once you step on the field, kind of all that stuff goes away and it's just kind of getting to, to what you're good at and, and really expressing yourself on the field. So, you know, maybe the first, first week, you know, preseason a little bit, those first couple of games, uh, you feel the nerves a little bit, but you know, you guys know it's once you step out there, it, it all goes away and you just kind of enjoy what you've put in so much work for. And you kind of trust the the process that you've, you've put in over time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Totally. I mean, that that's the beautiful thing about this game, right? Is you can kind of let everything else melt away when you're out there on the field doing your thing. But Z, you mentioned you grew up or you spent two years in the, in the Union Academy and you always had that goal of, yeah, I want to play for the Steel. I want to play for the Union once I get out of Villanova. So you did sign with the Steel, but then um, you, you went through a transfer. You got transferred to the Colorado Switchbacks, which has ended up being an awesome career move for you. Um, you're, do, you're having a great season. The Switchbacks are having a great season. So it seems like everything is working out uh, swimmingly. But how was that for you um, going through that transfer saga? Um, obviously, it's one thing to see it from afar, but to be in the middle – of that and to be the player that's being transferred. How is that? Yeah. You know, it's, I think it's been, it's been the right move. I've been definitely very happy with it, but you know, I, honestly, most of the, most of the saga probably happened after my first year. Um, Cause obviously, you know, with the steel was, was a team and then they were starting in my second year to transition to a lot of younger players, you know, not as competitive in the USL cause they were moving out towards that MLS next um, phase. Mm. So you know, my first year at Philly, we weren't, weren't great. Um, a lot of losses in my, in my second year, we were even worse, <laughs> um, pretty uh, by a, a large margin. Um, so I actually, I tried to leave after, after my first year and, and get out and, you know, go on loan somewhere else to, you know, just being a more of a professional environment because I was the oldest kid on the team as a second year pro, um, with guys who, who weren't pros, you know, they were Academy kids that I was playing with. Um, so I wanted to get into an environment that would, you know, challenge me more. So I tried to leave, you know, I was still under contract for my second year. They didn't, they didn't let me leave. So I, I ended up staying my second year. Um, and then after that I was out of contract. So it was actually a pretty easy transition. It wasn't, I wasn't bought or transferred. Um, I was a free agent and I was, you know, free to choose where I wanted to go. And the, the time it worked out well that Brendan Burke, um, who's my coach here at the Switchbacks, was the coach at the Steel my first year. And, you know, I have a very good relationship with him. And the, the Switchbacks were building a brand new stadium. There was a lot of, you know, promise that was that was going on there. And, you know, what I've kind of learned through my through my four years so far is, you know, the people really matter. Um, and the coaching staff that we have here at the Switchbacks is you know, I'd argue one of the best in, in the entire nation, including MLS. Um, these guys are, you know, top quality and really good people, uh, guys that I can trust. So, you know, the biggest thing for me was going to a place that, you know, I could trust the staff and, you know, have them behind my back. And, and so far, you know, it's been, it's been an amazing experience, as you said, you know, we're, we're top of the table, I think in the, in the West. Um, so things are going well. But yeah, no, it was it was a pretty smooth transfer because of, you know, who I because Brendan was the coach there and, and I had a previously good relationship with him. So it, it was relatively easy and smooth. And then, you know, paperwork went through and, and everything was good. So it was easy, honestly. Yeah, it's it's crazy how things work out like that, you know. Um, you know, it, it, I always learned like growing up, you know, 
um, building relationships is important and, you know, um, you never know what's going to open up down the line and you always got to keep a relationship with certain people or with everyone that you meet really. Um, cause you never know what's going to happen. And that's, that's awesome that it worked out for you that way. Uh, but I actually want to stay on that point, um, for a second, just regarding kind of you being the oldest player as a two-year pro, um, at, or on a USL championship team. That's, that's super interesting. And I think this is a trend we're seeing um, more and more um, now with this MLS pro um, league being up, like kickstarted um, and a lot of MLS academies, Philly union being, you know, a main one um, that prioritizes their young players a lot. Um, and I just kind of wanted your opinion on that, how that kind of works and how that looks like comparatively. So obviously Philly Union's very, um, the, the MLS team is very successful. Um, they're having a great season this year. Um, they've had a great string of seasons um, here here the last couple of years. So I, it seems to me a little bit like it's it's at the expense maybe of, of, of the second team or of the USL championship or the MLS pro team. So, so what's your opinion on that? Do you have an opinion on that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I think, you know, the, the path that a lot of these academies have taken with, you know, really promoting their youth and, and putting them in professional environments earlier on. Um, if you look at the European model, it's, that's the exact thing that they do. So I think to produce the best pros, it's definitely the best, the best route, you know, just for me at my timing and, and what age I was at that situation at that time was, was not the best for me because I was kind of, you know, past that, that development period. Um, but I think, you know, for the overall American soccer landscape, it's a very positive thing. And it's, I think the right step forward and giving kids the opportunity to train in professional environments and, and train with, you know, seasoned pros, you know, you're going to gain a lot of value and experience and you're going to progress a lot quicker than you would otherwise, you know, being in the systems that we were in when, when we were younger. Um, you know, our timing was just a little bit off. Maybe things would have been different if, if we were, you know, growing up in the environment now. Um, but, but I do think it's, it's positive for, for American soccer. And you can already see that coming to fruition with, you know, a lot of signings, major signings that are happening, you know, overseas with Brendan, uh, Mark McKenzie's another one, you know, trusty going, you know, there's, there's a lot of Philly guys that, that are going abroad. Um, and, and they're getting a lot of money for them. So I think, you know, you can see the, the value of that, uh, you know, academy system kind of paying off already. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, just like you said, I, th I think it's definitely paying dividends and it's really encouraging to actually see some, some products, right? Like you commit, you commit to a school of thought and, and a process. And, and now we're really seeing guys playing in some of the best leagues in the world. But you mentioned um, Brendan Aronson and Mark McKenzie. Those are both guys that, if I'm correct, came through uh, your current coach right now, Brendan Burke. Um, and so, as you mentioned, you guys have one of the best staffs uh, in the country. They're switchbacks. And Brendan's a guy that's achieved a lot of audits early, early in his coaching career. Um, so can you can you talk to that? I mean, he's one of the bright young coaches uh, coming up in the game. What do you think working with him day to day? Uh, why do you think that is? What are some things that make him stand out? Um, I think it's, you know, to, to harp on the relationships. I think that's, you know, a really big thing. And just kind of the staff that he's he's surrounded himself with are, are all um, on the same page with with how they want to play, the philosophy of how they want to play. Um, and kind of how they want to have day-to-day -day interactions. 
So, you know, everyone, everyone on the team, including the staff is looking forward to, to going into work. You know, it's a very positive environment. Um, and we all have, we all share the similar goal. We want to, you know, win championships. Um, and I think that they do a really good job in, in bringing in players that not only are going to perform on the field, but are going to get along in the locker room and, and have that chemistry and everything. Um, and that comes down to the recruiting they do and, and all the stuff behind the scenes and, you know, all the statistics that they look at and things like that. Um, and then, you know, I think it's, it's also, they just have a really good soccer mind um, and, and a specific philosophy again, that, that they focus on. And, you know, I think if you look at a lot of successful coaches around the world, they're not, they're not switching how they're playing, you know, too frequently, you know, maybe they're adapting to different teams a little bit, but mainly they're focusing on, you know, what they're good at and continuing to do that. Um, and I think that's what we try to do here. And we play a very specific, you know, fast style, you know, attacking, attacking soccer. That's, you know, hopefully entertaining to the, to the, to the public. Um, but I think it's really just that focus that, that sets them apart. Yeah. That's awesome. I liked what you're talking about, just about, you know, chemistry between the team um, and a philosophy. Um, I think you see that at every level. I mean, we, we see it in the college game a lot too. And I, I know you can relate that to that. Um, it's tough to, to kind of gain that chemistry when, you know, you're changing teammates all the time, but, but those, that those teams that are able to do that and those teams that are able to stick to a certain philosophy are, are there at the final four at the end. And it's super interesting to see how that, how that works kind of, kind of in all facets of the game. But um, I had a question regarding just, your preparation. Um, and you kind of talked about it earlier, just in terms of, you know, your adjustment at college where, um, you know, you were dealing with injuries, um, you had to take care of, you had to learn how to take care of your body better, um, and things of that nature. So now that you're in year four, um, of your professional career, have you seen, um, obviously you have access to more things now, um, that you maybe did in the past. Um, but, have you seen kind of a shift um, in your preparations for matches, for training, just on a day-to-day basis? Um, how does that look like, or what does that look like for you? Yeah, no, I, w- I wouldn't say it's so much a shift. It's more of a, an evolution in a way, um, kind of figuring out, you know, what works for me, what works for my body, what does my body specifically need? Um, so for training, you know, it's, we get in, you know, like an hour early, um, get all the prehab, do all the things that, you know, my body is not or needs to be activated in um, and, and spending a lot of time on the, on that stuff to get my body prepared for training. Cause as you guys said, you know, as you get older, your body's just not feeling as great anymore. So you need to put in the extra time. So before training um, a lot, a lot of time goes in, but honestly, most of the, I'd say the biggest thing is the the stuff after training, the recovery after training. I do a lot of stretching. Um, I, I take a lot of time to to take care of my body, and then I think you know something that I've I've realized is is more and more important is the sleep aspect, um, and making sure that you're getting the quality sleep to to allow your body to recover. Um, mm-hmm. So that that's that's kind of day to day throughout the week. Game days is uh, you know pretty similar to to how it would be before training. Um, just doing that before the game, you know, we go for activation walks in the morning, um, and just making sure that the, the body's right before the game and, and lots of rest. Um, but you know, it, it's, I guess, pretty standard stuff, but you know, it's, it's building the habits of doing the things every day that I think is the tough part. And, you know, I think it's what, like 65 days or, or something to build a habit. Um, so just, just committing to that 
Um, and, and habitually doing that every day, I think is, is the really important part. And so far that's helped me. It's made my body feel good. Um, and, and so far so good this year with, with no injuries and hopefully that can continue. Yeah, definitely. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. We got faith. (laughs) But um, as Drags mentioned, you guys do have access as, you know, being a professional team to, to more than you probably had access over at Villanova. So what I'm wondering is with the influx of uh, stats and numbers that have come into professional sports, how much does that play into the way that you guys are approaching your games and your trainings? Do you guys over at Villanova use Instat? Um, but how much emphasis do you guys place on those those numbers um, as opposed to just, as you said, you guys are setting a philosophy and saying this is what we're going to do no matter what? You know, I think it's, it's a big part, honestly. Um, but I, I wouldn't say us players get to see those numbers all the time. Um, I think the biggest thing that the numbers help is – First of all, the recruiting aspect. So for our front, for our front office and stuff to, to be able to recruit players um, and then kind of scouting other teams. Um, they, there's a lot of numbers that go into that. So, you know, we see the final scouting report, but we don't see all the behind the scenes details of, of the numbers behind it. Um, but obviously after after every game for us and each training session for us, you know, we get a, a layout of, of the numbers, you know, distance covered touches, all these, all these sort of uh, simple numbers, I guess, if you want to, if you want to call it that. Um, so we see those things, but I think the more complicated stats are, are more behind the scenes and stuff that, you know, we don't see it's, it's part of uh, our staff's, you know, I guess, secret sauce in a way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. I mean, it, numbers and statistics are just becoming more and more, just essential um, kind of in any sport, but mainly in soccer, we're seeing this major shift almost. I think, I mean, it's, it's happened. I think while I've been at Villanova, you could just see um, how much emphasis is being put on it. Um, And obviously it's at a higher level at at the pro level. And that's awesome to hear just, and it's a very interesting perspective on it. Um, And, you know, but uh, one other thing I was curious just on this topic was, um, I, I believe you guys have been on some crazy travel stretch, right? Like away games to start the season, right? Something oh, the like that. Entire time it feels like. <laughs> yeah, like I, I'm just wondering, how does I mean, do, do does your I mean, does your staff or do, does does the club does Colorado Switchbacks do anything specific just to to kind of I guess ease that travel burden almost? Um, it feels like. I, w- I wouldn't say they do anything specific. I mean, I think. The, the big part of it comes in kind of the preparation and training and how, how intense training sessions are before, before we travel and in the week build up before that. Um, but, you know, travel is normal. I mean, it feels like this entire season so far, we've been on the road. Uh, we're again, we're away in, in LA this, this weekend. Um, so it, it is tough. I think the, the biggest the difficulty of the travel is just kind of the time away from home um and not being able to sleep in your own bed and and you know the airplane rides of course are are not great um but you know it is what it is you just got to find a way to deal with it and and be resilient and i think we have one of the best records on the road uh this year in the league so far um so so we've been able to do a good job of kind of adapting to the the different environments but i think that really kind of stems from the preparation and the week before and and how we train and and stuff like that Mm -hmm. yeah yeah, I mean, I'd imagine, like you said, there's definitely some planning that goes into. It. I'm sure you know when you have a stretch of road games coming up, and 
Uh, how would you guys tackle that? So you said, obviously, you guys prepare a lot uh, the week before an away game or maybe back-to-back away games. You'll be on the road. So how, what goes into that? Uh, coaches said, okay, we're going to be gone for the next two weeks, let's say, for example. What would that entail for you guys as a squad? I mean, I think not much difference in, in the, the actual training schedule. Um, maybe a day off, an extra day off or something after we after we travel. It's really more in the, the intensity of the sessions um, and kind of how much they want to put on our legs in that week to, to what they think will make us uh, have our legs feel good for, for the weekend. So it, it's really, I guess, the intensity of the, the training that week that, that really kind of determines the preparation. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think it's interesting because I, it varies, I think, um, from program to program in, in college and, and how different coaches handle it in, in the professional ranks. Um, but I think sticking to a routine, as you're mentioning, um, is super important in its own in its own light. Um, and I think it benefits the players, too, because I'm a player that doesn't like a lot of change. I like to stick to I'm very disciplined. I like to stick to, to a certain routine. So um, I think that's that's awesome. But um so we obviously heard your whole story um, and it's an awesome story um, starting at Union Academy, going to uh, Bethlehem Steel now at Colorado Switchbacks. So um, now that you reach your, your goal since you were a young kid um, of being a pro, I'm wondering what is something that you wish you knew um, when you were a young player, maybe even before you went to, to Philly Union, if you want to do it that way, what what did you wish you knew and what would you tell someone um, that has those same aspirations now? Um, You know, I think that that's a good question. It's a, it's a tough question. Um, But I think it's the, the dedication that, that you have to put in the the time commitment that you have to put in. And the, I think the biggest thing is you guys will know the sacrifices that you have to make to be able to be, you know, a a really good player in any sport. Um, It's being okay with, you know, sacrificing a lot of different things, a lot of social things that, you know, you're, you might miss out on, but kind of realizing in the end that, you know, if you do put in that time and that work, it, it's going to be worth it in then. So, you know, I think if I had to say to a young kid or, or something, first of all, you got to, you got to work hard. I think that's, that's the foundation of, of everything. Um, and I know, I think a lot of people think that they work hard, but really committing to, working harder than every single person next to you. Um, for myself, you know, I'm not physically gifted. I'm small. I'm like five, six. <laughs> I'm not a freak athlete. Uh, so I had to put a lot of time in and a lot of credit goes to my dad for, for bringing me out and, and training extra. Um, so I think, you know, it's cliche and everything that people say hard work, but, you know, really committing to, to the hard work and then realizing you're going to have to sacrifice. There's going to be a lot of sacrifices, but you know, it'll, it'll be worth it in that. Yeah. Well, I also think it's invaluable to hear a guy like you say it, um, because I think it's something you realize when you become a junior or senior in college. And for a lot of people, you know, that can be towards the end of, uh, end of your career if you're not so, so fortunate and so talented to go pro. So hopefully people are able to listen when they're younger, if we have any younger uh, listeners, and they can hear a professional soccer player say that right now, because having that realization at a young age and being able to go out, uh, you know, with your dad or by yourself, I think it would make a big difference in the big picture. Um, Absolutely. 
but I mean, that's, that's invaluable information. Z. Uh, thanks for sharing all that. And um, now we're going to move on to biggest winners and biggest losers within the past week of soccer. It's a little, a little slower with the uh, international break going on. Uh, just had a pretty hectic week last week, obviously with Prem and the Champions League and everything going on there. But um, Drags, do you want to start us off with your biggest winner of the week? Yeah. Um, so this was tough, as Dill mentioned. Um, but I think um, my biggest winner has to – I have to give a shout-out to Gareth Bale this week. Um, and it's about what he did with Wales this week, but it's also about the type of player he is. Um, so I just remember, like, when I was a young kid, I don't remember how old I was, but the, the goal against, I believe it was Barcelona – um, where the man just like ran out of bounds and still makes it to goal and scores. Like, I still remember that goal is just a legendary, legendary goal of all time. But you got to think about Bale's career, and this is why he's my biggest winner. Um, you think what he did this past week, um, he just took Wales to the World Cup um, as a captain for the first time, and I think it was 64 years. He um, took Wales to the Euro semifinal. <laughs> and he before he joined uh real madrid they had won zero champions leagues in 11 years and since he's joined the club they've won five in the last eight years and these stats just blow my mind um i i i think he's a very like a generally respected player but i think um he is honestly a legend of the game and i don't think he gets enough respect so i just want to give him a shout out this week as my biggest winner yeah I think that's a great one, especially with all the slander he gets at uh, Madrid in that city. I mean, there's videos of his car being, you know, mobbed on the way out of games, and all he's done is go there and, and win trophies. He scored the, the goal in the Champions League finals. I mean, one of the greatest goals literally in Champions League history, uh, the bicycle kick. And I think, yeah, I think he deserves the credit. I think it, it was absolutely heartbreaking um, to see Ukraine go out like that. Absolutely heartbreaking to see Yarmolenko um, be the guy that has to take that burden of the own goal after all the amazing work that he's done as a Ukrainian, not as a footballer, but as a Ukrainian. Um, helped a lot of his Ukrainian uh, teammates in, in mainland Europe get their family out. And so um, he obviously deserves a ton of respect and credit for that, but that's sports and Congratulations yeah. to Wales, definitely. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I, I meant to mention that as well because um, I think it's an important, important disclaimer because U Ukraine was was the world's team uh, in that game, but um, didn't go their way. It's just a game of game of football. So, but yeah. Z, what about you, man? Uh, I think I gotta gotta stick with my my hometown Philly and and say Brendan Aronson's <laughs> the biggest winner with his what was a thirty million dollar move to to Leeds. Uh, I think I think that's been coming for a while. I think what was it, the last transfer transfer window you kind of saw that Leeds was interested, but the, I guess the money wasn't there at the at the time. Um, but you know, I'm I'm happy for him for for the entire Philadelphia Union organization because they should get some money for that. I think as well. Uh, so that, so that's good for them. And you know, I hope he does well there. He's a, he's a great player. Um, and you know, hopefully he can perform for the U.S. Men's National Team as well. And and really you know, make an impact at, at the World Cup. And, you know, I think I think he will. And I think he'll be very successful at Leeds. And, you know, hopefully he can, he can bring them up the table and not have them 
battling for relegation, but maybe, you know, battling for, for some European competition. Yeah, for sure. It's an awesome one. Yeah. And he gets to go play with another American Jesse Marsh too. So that's pretty cool. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. That they get to team up. And like you said, I think, uh, I think success for them would go a long way as like a, a little American duo over there in the Premier League. Yeah. I think, <laughs> I think Jesse Marsh, you know, being an American coach, I think what Bob Bradley was the, was the last one with Swansea and, and that did not go too well. So it's nice to see, you know, an American coach, you know, having another time in the, in the Premier League and hopefully it's, it's a lot more successful this time. Right. Yeah. He did so, the job this season and, and that's absolutely. That's, so yeah. Dill, what about you? Yeah. Uh, it wasn't an easy job either that he did. I think, yeah. I think he actually did a pretty no, no job. tough. Yeah. Um, my winner, I was in between two. I'm just going to give a small shout out to Pogba for getting out of United. I'm a Manchester <laughs> United fan, but just good for his career. Uh, but that's not going to be my big winner. My big winner is going to be uh, Jose Mourinho, who once again won a European competition. Um, I know some people might go and say, oh, it's a conference league. It's still a European competition. By the end of it, once you got to the quarterfinals, it was it was pretty big clubs uh, all competing, all putting their first teams out there. And uh, it was a trophy that meant a lot to him, to the club, to the players. So everyone really cared. Uh, he was in tears at the end. Um, and I just think it's a fantastic accomplishment. Um, not to make it all about the coach, it's a player's game, but uh, it's, I think it's fifth European uh, trophy and it's obviously with another team. And I think it's just remarkable that once again, he's gone out and it might not always be the prettiest uh, soccer, but he's produced a winner. Yeah, exactly. And I was going to say the same thing because, and going along with that, um, I think because he doesn't have the prettiest philosophy or style, he gets, especially in the last, I don't know, five years, he's been, he's been disrespected a a lot, I think. Um, And it's it's definitely not deserved um just looking at his you know his his coaching career in general um so it's, that's a great mention though yeah, he gets results no matter what every every place he goes he, he ends up winning so makes sense yeah for sure so um i guess i'll kick us off with the biggest loser as well um <clears throat> so this was a tough one as well um but I'm, I'm, I'm worried about Juve, um, Juventus. And um, there's a lot of rumor buzz going around um, this past week um, because they've been heavily linked with um, Angel Di Maria uh, making a move from PSG. That link is, is faltering. It's, it's, not, it's not 100%. It's not, it's not likely um, that, that he act, ends up going there. Um, and... They've also been um, in the wake linked with Berardi as well, making a return to the club. Um, and, you know, Berardi's a good move, but the reason they're a big loser for me is, um, you know, the last two seasons, I mean, they were at the peak of Syria, um, but kind of dominant in the league in a way. And um, the last two seasons obviously didn't win the title. Um, and after losing Ronaldo, it, it seems as though they've never got kind of back on track. Um, and I'm looking for just his, like, since I've been alive, I'm looking for like a, a superstar going to Hube next and, you know, an aging Di Maria. I don't know if that's, if that's the solution for them. Um, and 
So that's kind of why they're my biggest loser. Um, I'm just worried about them for next season and going forward um, if they can't get that superstar um, that they've traditionally gotten. Yeah. Yeah, I saw I saw Di Maria is linked with uh, Barcelona now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, a, yeah. I'm a Barcelona fan, and I don't know if I want that because, as you say, he's, he's a bit older. Um, but, you know, hopefully we'll, we'll see where he ends up. Yeah. Yeah. And also when you look at Juve, D-Ball, I think, is on the way out as well. Mm-hmm. He's been a studying force for them um, basically for a while. I think, maybe, you know, um, he's been a key part of that team. So yeah, I thought I thought when they got Vlahovic, it would it would patch up some of the some of the leakage there for a little bit. I think he's still a really promising young striker, but um, they they need something. They need they need a guy that you can say will go out and win them games. I think McKenney's also uh, rumored to be uh, going somewhere else, potentially Spurs. I think that would be pretty cool to see. Um, but yeah, yeah, Juve uh, are definitely looking for a spark. And mm-hmm. I don't know if I see it right now. Yeah, I'm not sure Pogba's the answer either. <laughs> yeah. Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? Hopefully can, not. As yeah. a United fan, <laughs> that would be pretty painful to see. But <laughs> he'll succeed. You just wished somewhere. him luck, though. You just wished him no, luck no, going, I going forward. I'm, I'm happy for him. I, I, I'm happy for him. I, I do wish him success. It would just be a little painful to see, but I'm still yeah. rooting for him. Yeah. What about you? Uh, yeah, so my biggest loser, you know, I think it's tough as there's not a whole lot going on in the soccer world. So just a recent game, the the uh, Belgium Poland game. So I'd say Poland's my biggest loser. You know, again, smack six one. It's never it never looks good, no matter the players on the field. Um, that's a, that's a tough loss, no matter who you are in the soccer world. Getting six goals conceded, that hurts. <laughs> that really hurts. Right, yeah. and you got to think yeah. like you got to think like. I mean, most of these teams, most of these international teams that are competing in the UEFA Nations League and competing in international friendlies, there's probably five, six games to the World Cup left because uh, because of the, you know, obviously it's in the winter, so it's unique. And so all these games matter in a way. It's 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 squad selection. It's it's a lot of things that go into these games. You know, there's been a lot of, you know, uh, Dylan's going to get into it, but like a lot of, you know, um, things going on with maybe players not maybe some of the big players not taking the nation's league serious, but these games are important and you never want to see a six, one result. If you're, if you're Poland, right. Cause I mean, they're going to the world cup. They need to get momentum and they're running out of time to do it. So. Yeah. And honestly, just that insult to the injury. I think they're up one, nothing in that game. Yeah, they were. Yeah, they were. Makes it even worse, uh, an even worse scoreline. And yeah, I mean, you got, you got, obviously, they're not going to be probably the number one team in the world, but they still have Lewandowski. Uh, they still have players like Glick, uh, who are Champions League players, and Zielinski, Shesny. Yeah. Uh, so they have really good players. I mean, they, they have players that will not be expecting to lose 6 1. And I'm sure there's going to be a bit of a reckoning in the locker room, uh, whether it be from the coach or some of the leaders in the locker room. But, um, also, it kind of shows you how uh, the Nations League is being looked at right now. And that ties into my biggest loser of the week, which is uh, the UEFA Nations League. Um, so it's on a couple different fronts that I think it's the biggest loser. Um, the first is how the players are looking at it. So Kevin De Bruyne came out. He said he doesn't really get the point of it. Uh, he said that he sees it as a glorified friendly and he doesn't really care. 
Um, you could tell today if you're watching the game that Z was talking about, a couple guys scored, they didn't really celebrate. So that's the first problem is that uh, the league is trying to operate as some, some sort of international tournament, and it's just not being regarded that way by the players. And then uh, the second front that I have a complaint with the Nations League is now they're gonna they're not making it available to the casual fan to watch. Uh, you got to sign up for Fubo TV, and mm. I'm personally not gonna buy an entirely new subscription just to watch the UEFA Nations League. Uh, so it's just you know for me is a this is a place to vent. Uh, making it my biggest loser is frustrating me this week. Um, and I just think, as Drag said, it does provide a function for these teams um, in their pre-World Cup setups. But when you're looking at the tournament or or what you're trying to get, it's not the players don't see it as that, the fans don't see it as that. So it's just glorified friendly to me. Yeah, yeah. I kind of, um, I kind of yeah, see. Oh, sorry, Drag. Uh, no, I kind of see like the the Nations League and you know FIFA with the World Cup and the, the Super League. All all these, you know organizations are trying to to make more and more games it seems like for these players to play in uh, obviously there's the economic benefit of it but i mean i think the nation's league is a, as you said though is a good example you know players aren't going to take it as seriously I, I don't know what that's going to translate towards towards like the entertainment aspect of it um mm-hmm. if fans are going to watch it I, I didn't even know it was on fubu i mean i feel like i got <laughs> 10 subscriptions to watch every league in the world i got like right. paramount i got you know peacock it's ridiculous how many how many things i gotta get to to watch (laughs) just like one game in one league um so i think that's kind of also you know another problem but i think you know they're trying to make too many games happen for these guys who are already playing like 70 games a season it's it's tough on players they they get no breaks um uh, it's it's pretty crazy honestly yeah i was literally just thinking like in terms like in terms of the breaks like I don't know when the Prem's official start date, but it's like late July, early August. Like I'm thinking like these guys have games till this upcoming Tuesday and have a month of holiday. Like mm. that's crazy. Like these, these guys, like, I don't even know, like Andy Robertson, Trent Alexander Arnold played like 68 to 70 games, as you mentioned, like that's just absurd to me in a calendar, like in a year, in a season, like that's just crazy. And also Dill, I'll, I'll take this time to vent as well, just about a specific event about the streaming services. We have France, or sorry, we have Germany, England yesterday. And every big, the biggest game of the day has been on FS1 every day. And I, I tune into FS1 to watch, you know, Germany, England. And <laughs> it's not on FS1. I forget what was on there. Maybe, maybe NASCAR or something of that nature. <laughs> and I'm not, I wasn't too happy to put it that way, that I had to get a free subscription to Fubo TV yeah. to watch England versus Germany. So just to add on to your point, but yeah, yeah. I mean, it's 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 just too much. It's just too much. It's too much. Too many subscriptions, like Z said. Too many games. It's just overdoing it, and um, we'll see what they do. We'll see if they keep it going or if they go back to friendlies. It should be interesting. I mean, then you have like America playing. I don't know the like it's one of the Virgin Islands on Friday, or you know some. Uh, what's what's gonna go on with that? Are we we're gonna put the first eleven out there? We'll see. But um, last segment of the episode uh, is spin the wheel. It's gonna spin the wheel of the five major European leagues, and uh, whatever it lands on, just talk about the most interesting thing that comes to mind with that league. Uh, 
as if you were next to a fan at a game and the game was delayed. So we, we cited the Champions League final last week with the 30-minute delays. So imagine you're okay. sitting there and you just got to talk to them about something. So, all right, got a good one. We got the Premier League, if anything comes to mind with you two guys. I think first thing for me would just be kind of Man City and the you know with uh, with Holland and and how how they're gonna kind of line up and and how impactful Holland's gonna be and you know he's I think one of the best young strikers in the world he's got a great goal scoring record I think it's you know Man City's been been kind of needing needing that they they haven't had like a true number nine that is a goal scoring threat consistently um, so I think Holland kind of you know, gets that for them. And, you know, obviously they're already one of the best teams in, in the world to add a, a player like that. It's going to be, be real interesting talking point for, for next year and see uh, how dominant they could be. Yeah. Love it. Dude. Absolutely. I'm jump. I'm nomping at the yeah. bits right now to, yeah. to add on to that as a city fan. I love it. Oh, um, city fan. Oh <laughs> man. <laughs> I love it. Dude. Yeah. But no, like I, I'm interested. I, I, I love that point because I think, um, you know, depending on who you're talking to, but some people don't think Holland's going to translate well into, into Pep style. Um, and, you know, it, it's going to be interesting to watch. I'm, I'm very intrigued to watch because as we've seen with players that enter the city system, enter the system under Pep, um, guys like uh, Cancelo, guys like Jack Grealish this past season that, that really haven't had as much success as they had, you know, at previous clubs or at an international level. Um, so it's interesting, interesting to see how he's going to translate into that city system. You know, another guy on that topic that I'm very interested to see how, how it pans out is um, Alvarez coming from Boca Juniors. And I'm, I'm not really sure um, the deal. They might be loaning him out for a season, um, but I think he's a very, very special talent. I'm interested to see how that how that pans out as well. <clears throat> yeah. I think I think there's oh, sorry, I cut you off. Again, man. I think that, you know, there's always an adjustment period when players come to the prem, especially like playing under a guy like Pep, who's who's got so many tactical, you know, nuances throughout his his, uh, his teams. Um, and you you mentioned Cancelo. I think when he first got there, he didn't really have that big of an impact. But I mean, you saw this year one of the best right backs in the prem, maybe the entire world. He was you know very impactful whether he was playing on the right or the left. Um, I think Grealish will will be a lot better next year too. So maybe Holland comes in. He's he's not super impactful right away, but I think Pep, because he's such a good coach, will be able to you know to get him to be impactful. However long that may take, I have no idea, but I, I think it'll eventually happen. Yeah, I completely agree. See, I was going to say something along similar lines. Another guy you could look at in that light is Mares, who initially didn't have the most success. For sure. And I think he might have even had their most goal contributions this season. He was up there, so key player. Um, just the one point I want to make on that topic is, obviously it scares me as a United fan, but more just looking at it from a league-wide perspective. Uh, it's been a two-horse race the past year and a half. Maybe you could even say two years. And I hope that it doesn't uh, continue that trend. I hope that, obviously, uh, City will still probably be – top one of the top teams in the league but i hope we can get back to like a big six or a top four where uh you know it's it's more than just a two-team race towards the end of the league but can't really you think that's possible 
Not this year. Nah. <laughs> Definitely not, not this year. year. I, I hope for it. I hope for it, but no, no, <laughs> not not. I mean, maybe maybe if Mane leaves and Salas, I've heard there's some links of Barcelona there. Uh, so maybe Liverpool could get weakened, but then that would really just make it a one horse race. So, you know, <laughs> I saw I saw Liverpool is rumored with uh, Darwin Nunez. The uh, yeah. Was he Benfica? Yeah, Benfica, I believe. Benfica, yeah. Benfica, yeah. Benfica striker. So, I mean, if it, I mean, Mane is pretty much out, it seems. So, yeah. yeah. But that, but that seems like a good signing as well. So, I know, I, I know. Yeah, I don't knows. know, man. We'll, we'll see. I, I don't see Chelsea or Arsenal or Tottenham. No. Really coming close to. I'd even mention United, dudes. So I'm Duh. sorry, but we're not. We're, we're not in the conversation right now. I'm not mad about it. Maybe, maybe if they give Tanag some, you know, some time and some, you know, some players, maybe. But you know, we're gonna... we're West Ham winning at Brighton away from being in the Conference League, so, <laughs> so I'm not complaining. I'm just, uh, I'm just gonna sit back in my chair and uh, have faith in a one horse race for years to come. <laughs> 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 uh, not to go down not to go down that path but uh you know yeah it's all right man <laughs> enjoy enjoy while last drags it won't be forever yeah yeah it's fair enough but a while <laughs> but a while <laughs> <laughs> well yeah um this was awesome so uh yeah thanks a lot again z um for for coming on today um, and sharing your your soccer journey with with us and and all our listeners and um we're gonna wrap up today's episode now so be sure to hit that subscribe button on our page um and download this episode um and also check out around the world on youtube the link will be in the description of this podcast um again thanks for tuning in everyone and we'll catch you next week on around the world listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube